The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons Podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we dive deeper into the theme of exile and return by examining the story of Hezekiah, which is found in 2 Chronicles. Hezekiah, like all of us, struggles to acknowledge and wrestle with the importance of his choices. Our challenging circumstances make decision-making difficult. Trusting in God's sovereignty does not negate, but rather informs our call to steward our choices well. Even in exile, God always offers return and wants us to be fully restored to Him. Okay, let's look at uh, Hezekiah now. So this is where I want to kind of start digging into this stuff. And again, what I'm hoping to do in this in this uh, series is kind of drill into some of these characters, drill into some of these uh, messages in these uh, uh, prophetic books, and, and maybe instead of going through the whole book, drill down and see some specific things that the, is in the books. And I hope what happens as a result of this particular series is that the Bible it becomes pieced together a lot better for you. You know, it tends to it tends to be a little overwhelming when you don't know the history and the culture and all that sort of thing. You kind of see these uh, different books of the Bible coming at you, and you know that like Micah is quoted in the New Testament and so forth, and they have. They have relevance in the New Testament period for this return of the King, which is we know as Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, but what we're going to try to do is overlay that with the actual context of what's happening, which is this immediate captivity as well in these in these different prophetic books. So let's look at Hezekiah. And again, this is Hezekiah starts just after the Assyrian captivity has taken place. So 2 Chronicles chapter 29, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, and note, note here, his father was David, I don't know, his great-great-great-grandfather, uh, you know, it's been... But still your father is in his lineage. We saw how important lineage is. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord God and have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, turned their backs on him. They've also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. So what's happened here? Yeah, the temples have gone into disuse. And instead they've replaced it with all the idol worship and so forth of these captors, of these uh, oppressors that they have all around them. Part of what these guys would do when they annex a place is they would exact tribute and they would also insist that you worship their gods. Is why would that make sense if you're a, if you're a, uh, uh, you know, annexing nation politically? Why would that make sense? 
What's that? Yeah, it creates unity, right? Yeah, you you answer to the same authority we do, and and the and it always included emperor worship of one kind or another, right? So now I'm I'm supplanting the whatever authority you had, I'm supplanting that with mine. So we're starting to mar- merge cultures. Well, Israel had done that, and so now this is all in disrepair. Hezekiah is starting to rebuild it. Now this would be considered, I think, uh, a, a, a sign of rebellion from this, with respect to the, the Syrians or someone else like this, because they're now restoring their own identity and their own connection with their own God. Verse uh, 8, Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell on Judah and Jerusalem, and he's given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. So again, this, this Chronicles uh, is, is, has a recurring theme that uh, bad things happen because of unfaithfulness. This is, this is, where, this is where trouble takes place. Verse 10, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. Now, let me just stop here and say this is an appropriate thing for Hezekiah to be doing. If we go back to some place like, let's say, like Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, there is a when God made His treaty, His covenant with uh, Israel. It has a um, maybe it's thirty, yeah, Deuteronomy thirty. When God makes His treaty with Israel, there's two components to it. There's an unconditional section and a conditional section. The unconditional section says basically, "You're my people. I'm going to make." Um, I'm going to fulfill these promises to Abraham and I'm going to bless all the world through you and ultimately I'm going to restore all things through you. Unconditional. The conditional part is you choose the path. If you'll take the path of life, then we'll get there and you'll be blessed all along the way. If you choose the path of death, the destination is going to be the same, but there's going to be massive trouble and suffering along the way. You pick. It's basically the same, uh, same thing he does with us individually as believers. We believe on Jesus as our, as our Savior, and we are given a new spirit. We're, given a new crea- we're made new creations. Our destiny with him forever is then secured completely. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's something that Jesus does, the Holy Spirit does, completely independent. Uh, we, we have nothing to do that. No, no more than uh, a baby has anything to do with being born. We're born again of the Spirit. Unconditional. However, we have a lot of choices in front of us. And we can either be blessed in our life to get to that path of restoration. Or we can create all kinds of wrath and trouble for ourselves. We're delivered from slavery, but we can go back into it. We're delivered from... Uh, we're, we're delivered from death, but we can go back into it. We're delivered from condemnation, but we can live under it. It's our choice at that point in time. Okay? It's the same kind of thing. So if we look at Deuteronomy 30, this is the conditional part of the covenant. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. This is the commandment which I command you today. It's not too mysterious for you. 
nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us and we may hear it and do it. In other words, you don't have to have an angel come explain this. It's not that hard. Uh, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us and we may hear it and do it. You, you don't have to have a missionary come from some foreign land and explain this. Why, why do you not have to have anybody explain it? It's just not that hard, right? This is not that hard. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. You know what the word of the Lord is. You know it. It's in your heart. You already know it. You don't need it explained to you. Why? You already know it. In in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go going to possess. But if your heart turns away, so you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today, you'll surely perish. And you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God, obey His voice, and cling to Him. This passage is the core passage that a New Testament book refers to to make its main point. Anybody know what that is offhand? Romans. The book of Romans. This is Romans 10. And and Paul uses this passage as an example of what the righteousness of faith looks like. You know what's right, so do it. And if you do it, you get blessed. He's answering the question in Romans, um, should we continue to sin that grace might abound? Some people are saying to him, oh, no, 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 you don't get your new birth and just then uh, be able to do whatever and you're still born again. You have to also do other things to be part of the family of God. And Paul is saying, no, not actually, you don't. Uh, Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It's completely independent of anything you do. However, Paul says, if you want to be righteous, then you have to live by faith. That famous verse from Habakkuk that he quotes is the theme of the book. And the culmination of his argument is this, that you know what's right, so do it. It's an inside-out life. You can't add rules and so forth to anything God does. So we're made new creations in Christ, and that's sealed But now who we become as people and what we experience is up to us based on what we choose. And that's not based on any rules of man. It's based on what God put in our hearts. Okay? That's the basic idea. So Hezekiah understands this. Let's go back to uh, 2 Chronicles 29. And he says, You can see with your own eyes our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons, our daughters, and wives are in captivity. Now I want God's wrath to turn away. So let's do what God asks us to do. And maybe that'll happen. Verse 12, then he has these Levites come and they sanctify themselves and they start doing what he says to do. And in uh, 2920, then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord, and they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats. So he starts reinstituting the temple sacrifice. And as a matter of fact, they do some interesting things in this passage. They are out of sequence from the Passover. They, they, they don't have the ability to kind of get on the right calendar. So Hezekiah prays the Lord and says, uh, we're going to mess some of this up 
would you just please give us some slack because we're just trying to get started? And God says, sure. No problem. In Numbers, God sets up a second Passover in the 14th day of the second month for people that can't make the first Passover. Oh, is that right? So he's already got that principle in there? Okay. Well, I mean, God cares about the heart, right? They didn't go and say, we like this time better, so we're going to do this instead. It's more convenient for us. That, that wouldn't have gone over. Yeah, it's just like we're going to, we're going to try to get started and we need to... Um, so that's in basically chapter 30. And chapter 31, uh, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, threw down the high places and the altars... Uh, from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, till they had utterly destroyed them all. So there's a real revival going on here. I mean, there's a real turning back to God. And verse 2, Hezekiah appointed the divisions of priests and Levites. Verse 4, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites. This whole system of of, uh, worship and Levitical support had completely broken down. And he's reinstituting it. Verse 5, as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance, the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought it in abundantly, the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord, and they laid in heaps. And so everybody's just really encouraged because all this is just kind of happening spontaneously, and they're all just amazed. So chapter 32. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So, so the king of Assyria, who's only a few years earlier came in and dispossessed Israel, sees all this happen and says, hmm, okay, we've got a little rebel going on here. Uh, we've got to go take care of this. Verse 2, when Hezekiah saw Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Now I'm going to just take a little pause here. If If you go to Israel today, you can walk through the tunnel that Hezekiah dug to reverse the spring that was just outside the wall and bring it back into the city. Why would that be important if you've got this massive enemy coming up on you? Yeah, if you've got to go send people out to go get water, you're just a sitting duck, right? So they actually hid the spring and successfully masked its existence, and now they had a source of water that was inside the city. And there's actually water still flowing in it. It's still there today. They, it's quite an engineering feat because they started it from both ends and met in the middle. Okay? So they did that. And um, verse 9, And after this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem, uh, to Hezekiah and all Judah, and said, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, And what do you trust, that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, you shall worship before one altar and burn one incense on it. Don't, do you not know 
what I and the fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of those nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my father. Does he have a me problem? Okay. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations and other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them, that they might take the city. And as they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, the work of men's hands... Now because of this, Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, prayed and cried out to heaven. So now Hezekiah gets Isaiah. Anybody ever heard of Isaiah? Isaiah's prophecy, ministry of prophecy, spans this time of Hezekiah. And they go and they start a prayer meeting. And they cry out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the Assyrians. So he returned shamefaced to his own land when he had gone into the temple of his God. Some of his own offspring struck him down with a sword there. Let's read Isaiah's version of this. Go to Isaiah chapter 36. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up in all the fortified cities. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rob Shekah. I think I'm going to change my title to the Rob Sheka. Isn't that a, that's a kind of a nasty sounding title. Maybe not, maybe not. With a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Verse 4, then the Rob Sheka said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this you trust? We just read all of that. Go to chapter 37. So it was when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he set Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. I started these reforms, but we don't have a big enough army to resist this. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rob Shekah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to reproach the living God and rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that's left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, you, Thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you've heard. With the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So then that's what happens. Only a few years later, Assyria is overthrown, and Babylon takes it over. I believe this is uh, 6... Let me see. See if I can find my my uh, 
timeline here. I'm going to get these down to the point where I can just reel them off. I don't, I don't yet have them myself. Uh, in 612 is when uh, Assyria actually just falls apart. This, um, this ruler here this was, uh, ended his reign in 627. So we are you know, in the 700s, and they're at the height of their world power, and they're just a few decades away from basically just falling into basic and, the, and shifting their their power over to Babylon. So I think you've uh, got great insight here. You've got exile stories, exile return stories within exile return stories within exile return stories. Each one of us has an exile and return story that's personal to us. We're all living with other people that have exile and return stories that are personal to them. The whole human race is in an exile and return story. And what we have here is all these exile and return stories that are given to us in quite graphic detail in the scripture. I think in large part as instruction and encouragement to us in our own personal walk. Hezekiah understood, hey, the choices we make matter. Even though God's uh, election of uh, Israel is irrevocable. He understands that if we want to have the blessings of God, then we've got to follow what God tells us to do. The New Testament tells us uh, if, we want to, if we want to enjoy the blessings of God, we've got to trust Him and we've got to love other people. Otherwise, we go back into the stuff from which we were delivered. Romans 1 tells us the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And the way that wrath is revealed is God gives us over to the things we want. And the picture you get is God holding us back, holding us back, holding us back. And we say, I want that, I want that. No, you don't want that. I, no, I want that. No, no, you don't. You don't want, I want that. No, you don't. When we were on our trip, we went to this little cafe, local cafe place. And I said, I want one of those muffins in there. And the lady behind the desk said, no, you don't. I said, really? No, those things are nasty. You don't want one of those. Interesting sales technique. I bought several other things. So, you know, what, what, well, what's good? Get that. Well, that's, that's kind of what God does. No, you don't. You don't want that. But if we keep persisting, I, you know, if I would have said, no, no, I want, I want one of those. Just put and make it two. She would have eventually said, okay, right? Well, that's the way it works with God. He says, he gives us over to our passions. And then he gives us over to our kind of sin nature. And then he gives us over to a debased mind. We can't even think right. That's the wrath of God. And it's us pursuing that which is not good for us. If we want to break away from that, then he says, hey, just do what I ask you to do. Hezekiah understood that. But there was a big consequence that came from it, wasn't it? When, when the world sees us do that, they don't like it. And they press in. And they criticize. Our flesh really doesn't like it. It goes into major war mode. And starts coming up with all kinds of reasons why that's not okay. Uh, if you've got a bitterness issue and you say, well, I'm just going to forgive, your flesh will go into double overtime trying to give you all the reasons why you should revive that hatred for that person. Right? We've all experienced this. And yet, the real promise is, if we'll follow God's way, we get His blessings. The cool thing, though, is that even if we don't, there's still a restoration that God has promised unilaterally.
it's really a cool picture. And so what we're going to do in this series is just delve into all these interconnected circles. And I hope at the end of it, not only do you have inspiration for your own life, because as these lessons come home, but also you're going to have a much better idea how all these uh, prophets and everything fit together historically. Okay? Thanks, God, for your care, provision, and for visiting us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. 